Canby New Life Foursquare Church welcomes you. We're located at 2350 Southeast Territorial Road, just off Highway 99E. We hope the following message will be a blessing to you. There was a quaint little community tucked into a valley in the state of Maine. And um, a river ran through this valley and through this town. And engineers in the 1950s were going to build a hydraulic dam that would eventually fill this valley with 600 feet of water, which would become a very large lake in what is now known as Flagstaff Lake. The homes and the businesses in this community were purchased, they were bought from the people, but they were told, the residents were told, you can live for free here for two years while we build the dam. And so a writer had heard about this community and he wanted to write a story uh, about a town that had no future. So he went to Flagstaff Um, about eight months into the construction of the dam. And what was once a romantic little hamlet tucked into this valley, after just eight months, the town was in ruin. The town was completely in ruin. Why paint a house if it's going to be underwater? Why fix a fence or a window? Why mow a lawn? Why be neighborly or build relationships if the town had no future? And this writer penned these brilliant words. He said, where there is no faith in the future, there is no power in the present. Where there is no faith in the future, there is no power in the present. The children of Israel who had been wandering around the desert for 40 years had lost their hope. They really had no hope in the future. They couldn't imagine better days ahead for them. They were stuck. Have you ever felt stuck? Stuck in a bad mood? (laughs) Stuck in a kind of a complacent life? Stuck in a job that you didn't want? Stuck in relationships? Just felt stuck. It's the worst thing. And imagine feeling stuck for 40 years. The book of Joshua is about people who had been stuck for a long, long time. Now, we're on the cusp of entering the promised land, and and the Lord is speaking into their future. He's speaking hope into their future. And two, but you remember, two years into this wilderness journey, 12 spies had gone into Canaan. And if you were here last week, you heard about the spies going into the promised land. And 12 men were sent into the promised land, into Canaan. And the report, all 12 of them, the report was unanimous in that the land is lush, the fruit is huge, and it is indeed a land flowing with milk and honey. But 10 of the spies said, we can't do it. We can't, it's, we can't do it. There's giants. It's scary. They're going to kill us. They're intimidating. We can't go into the land. We can't take it. I don't think it's so out of reach for us to understand that because we're also discouraged by our circumstances, by the things that we see. We look at our circumstances in our life and we, we think the hurt is too deep. 
The trust is long lost. The reputation is gone. The diagnosis is too bad. The relationship is too broken. The debt is too big. We can't do it. We can't go in. We can't go any further. No matter what you're facing today, your ability to win the battle will be closely connected, if not completely intertwined, with your perspective. Caleb and Joshua, two of the spies that had gone in just two years into their wilderness journey, they had the upper story perspective. They had the perspective of God. They said, it's big. You're right. The land is lush. The fruit is big. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's beautiful. So let's go. Let's take it. Our God is bigger than any giant. He's stronger than any opponent. Let's go and take the land. But fear overtook the camp, and 38 years later, they're still stuck. Minority report or majority report, who do you listen to? There were strategic decisions made that kept them stuck for 40 long years. And we get stuck for four major reasons, and we get stuck for these reasons as well. The first reason we get stuck is we get discouraged and we just quit. We quit when life gets too hard. We quit when you feel insecure or when I feel insecure and I I just think about myself. I quit when I just don't feel it. I'm just not feeling it. We quit when problems seem too hard. When we're mad and we're angry, we quit. When we're not getting our way. When God hasn't come through like he we thought he would, or the time that we thought he would do it. Another reason we get stuck is we want to take the easy way out. Shortcuts are almost never the best road. For instance, is it easier to gain weight or to lose it? Is it easier to get into debt or out of debt? Is it easier to lose your temper or to keep your cool? Is it easier to get married or to stay married? The easy road is easier, but it's almost always destructive. There's something about a process. It's about the process that God wants us to walk through. It's valuable. The easy way negates the process. We want to get out of it. We want to do it fast. We want to do it easy. And freedom begins in the process. The Israelites had spent 40 years taking the easy way out. And now they're cowards by this time. Another reason we get stuck is we think we know better than God. It just doesn't make sense. God, it just doesn't make sense. How could that possibly happen? I don't see things changing, God. I can fix it. I can fix it. I can do it. Or we've used the excuse, you just don't understand. I can't help it. It's just the way that I am. It's who I am. I'm sorry. I can't help it. We get stuck when we think we know better than God and God's wisdom. The other reason we get stuck is we develop destructive lifestyle patterns. It begins with doubt and then grumbling and then disobedience. Doubt will always paralyze us. 
We get in a place and we think, oh, how could this happen? We doubt that God really cares. Is God even listening? Does he even see where we're at? Does God care? Does he, is he able to get us out of this? Will he do it? And then grumbling will paralyze us, but when we grumble, we usually just blame somebody else. And then there's disobedience. And disobedience will always keep us stuck. The Israelites were stuck. A 13-day journey took 40 years. And I wanted to give you a frame of reference because I thought about this. I thought, well, how far did they actually have to go? Well, if we were to go east from Canby, um, if we walked from here to Kennewick, Washington, that's about how long their journey was. Now, that's a long ways to walk, granted. But I think we could do it in less than 40 years. If we went south from Canby, we would have to walk to Weed, California. Now, I have some vivid memories of being stuck in Weed when, we were, when I was about 10 years old and our car broke down. And I don't think there was a McDonald's there then. What kept them stuck are the same reasons that keep us stuck. And those four things will wreck our life, keep us miserable, and keep us from the promises that God has for our life. Joshua chapter 1 is written to say, God has better days ahead for you. And you'll never get there if you don't start moving. God is essentially saying to Joshua, okay, this is how it's going to go down. Moses is dead. You're in charge. I promise you get it all. No one will stand against you. Don't be afraid. Obey the instructions, all of them. Don't be afraid. Be courageous. Be strong. Be strong, courageous, and don't be afraid. I'd like to read with you Joshua chapter 1, 1 through 9, the Lord's charge to Joshua. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. He said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I'm giving them. I promise you what I promised Moses, whatever you set foot on, will be land I have given you. From the Negev wilderness in the south to the Lebanon mountains in the north. From the Euphrates River in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all the land of the Hittites. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. For I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. Be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess the land. I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instructions continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Moses began as a reluctant leader. Joshua, on the other hand, is a born leader. But I'm pretty sure his strategic battle plan did not include what God had in mind. 
the plan that God had. But remember, one of the reasons that we stay stuck is we think we know better than God. The first five chapters of Joshua are all about moving. Joshua, you're in charge. Let's get moving. You're going to cross the Jordan. Joshua says, we're going to send in two spies into Jericho. We're going to see what's, what it's like inside. We're going to check it out. Jericho is spied out, and they stay at the public house of Rahab, the prostitute. So two spies go there. She hides them. And then she says this to them. She goes, I believe. I believe in your God. I, I heard the stories about you crossing the Red Sea. I believe in your God. I heard about the battles that you fought and won. I believe your God is the supreme God. When you come to capture this city, please remember me. Rescue my family and me. So they devise this plan. A red cord is hung out her window to indicate to the Israelite warriors that that's the house. This is the house with the red cord to do the whole secret mission rescue at. God's story is always to redeem. The red cord is a symbol. The blood that was on the door frame when they left Egypt was a symbol. It's a symbol of Jesus' blood shed on Calvary for you and me. It rescues and it saves us. Rahab the prostitute is listed in the roll call of the hero's hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Rahab the prostitute, hero in the roll of the hall of faith, listed in the hall of faith among our other heroes. Rahab is not linked to prostitution because God wants to condemn her or forever keep her shame before her. It's for our benefit. We need to see that. Rahab the harlot did not let her sordid past or the present condition keep from keeping her from what God had for her, just as we can't. There are some here that need to hear what God is able to do. He is able to rescue us. Now it's all about moving. So now it's time for the Israelites to cross the Jordan River. And in chapter 3, that's what it's about. It says this. The Israelites crossed the Jordan. 3 beginning in verse 1. Early the next morning, Joshua and all the Israelites left Acacia Grove and arrived at the bank of the Jordan River where they camped before crossing. Three days later, the Israelite officers went through the camp giving these instructions to the people. When you see the Levitical priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, your God, move out from your positions and follow them. Since you've never been, you have never traveled this way before, they will guide you. The first thing that we see when they begin to cross the Jordan River is that God instructs them early. Early is always better. I'm just saying. When God speaks to me, it's better for me to start earlier than later. 
The other thing that we see in this passage of scripture is that the Ark of the Covenant was to go first. When you see the Ark of the Covenant, then you go. You follow it. You've never traveled this way before. So keep an eye on the Ark. The Ark of the Covenant represented the very presence of God. It was their most sacred possession. In verse 9 of chapter 3, it says, Today you will know the living God is among you. And then in Joshua 3.11, it says, Think of it. The Ark of the Covenant, which belongs to the Lord of the whole earth, will lead you across the Jordan River. God is leading you across the Jordan River. God is leading you out of the wilderness into your promise. When you want to leave your wilderness, put God in a place in your life that you can focus on him. Keep him in front of you. Keep your eyes on him. Just as they were instructed, keep your eyes on the Ark of the Covenant. You follow the Ark. You've never been this way before. Keep your focus on God. It's so easy to sabotage our progress when we venture into new freedom. It's imperative to keep our eyes on our God who's already been there. He's gone before us. He knows what it's like. He's not afraid of our failure. And he's not afraid of our success. So keep your eyes, your focus on God. The Israelites step into the Jordan and the water backs up in a heap and they walk across on a dry riverbed. Isn't it amazing? God does things different. The Red Sea divided. The Jordan backs up in a heap. But the thing that's the same is he always makes a way for us. He always makes a way of escape. He makes a way to our freedom. I think someday we're going to be able to see what God did for our lives. Those seas that were divided that allowed us to walk into freedom. The rivers that were heaped up so that we could walk into his promises. The Israelites get to the other side and now God tells them, build a memorial. In Joshua chapter 4, we read, he, we will use these stones to build a memorial. In the future, your children, children will ask you, what do these stones mean? Then you can tell them. They remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the Ark of the Lord's Covenant went across. These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. God is moving you out of the wilderness. He's moving you out of the wilderness and into the promise And you need to remember, what are you going to tell your children? God has moved you into places, a promise. He has moved you into places of healing in your life. What are you going to tell your children? In Joshua 4, 20 through 24, it says this. It was there at Gilgal that Joshua piled up the 12 stones taken from the Jordan River. Then Joshua said to the Israelites, in the future, your children will ask, what do these stones mean? Then you can tell them this is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the river right before your eyes. And he kept it dry until you were all across just as he did at the Red Sea when he dried it up until we had all crossed over. He did this so all the nations of the earth might know that the Lord's hand is powerful. And so you might fear the Lord your God forever. What do your memorial stones say? 
Do they speak of God's power? Do they speak of his redemption? Now let's look at chapter 5 of Joshua. Chapter 5 is about reestablishing commitment, reestablishing their commitment, the covenant. It's all about breaking the ties, cutting the ties from Egypt. But before we go into chapter 5 too much, I want to just refer back to one verse in chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 13, it says, These warriors, about 40,000 strong, were ready for battle. They cross the Jordan, and they're ready to fight. There's 40,000 strong warriors. But God has a process. And he's wanting them to be in the process. And it's, re- it's about reestablishing the commitment Reestablishing the covenant with him. And sometimes we want to rush in and we want to fight. And when God is saying, hold on, hold on, first things first. So we have these 40,000 men ready, but God's saying, hold on. Because it's not by power, nor by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Forty strong men ready for battle are being circumcised. Establish, reestablishing their commitment. All ties from Egypt were cut. They had to pause. It had to cause some vulnerability. God is doing something here. What he's doing is he's saying, every step into the promised land is marked by God's hand, not yours. Those 40,000 warriors did not back up the Jordan River. And they won't knock down the wall of Jericho. No matter, no more than we can take credit for what God is doing in our lives. For what God has done and will do in our life. There are better days ahead and it is marked by God's hand. It's not by our hand. Joshua 5, 11 through 12 says this, says this, the very next day they began to eat unleavened bread and roasted grain harvested from the land. They took time to celebrate the Passover. They crossed the Jordan. They recommitted their covenant with God and they celebrated the Passover. And now no manna appeared on the day, the day they first ate from the crops of the land. And it was never seen again. So from that time on, the Israelites ate from the crops of Canaan. They had been eating manna for how many years? They reestablished reestablished their commitment, their covenant with God. And there's no more manna. Now they're eating from the promise. From that day on, they begin living the promise. One step at a time. One act of obedience after another, participating in the process, and they begin living the promise. From that day on, they feasted on the milk and honey of the promised land. Fist-sized grapes and bountiful crops were now theirs. So now we get to the wall of Jericho. The end of chapter 5 tells us that Joshua goes to the wall of Jericho. The wall was daunting. It was approximately 30 feet high, 
There were two walls. One wall was six feet wide, and the other wall was 12 feet wide. Historians say that, the, that they had chariot races on top of the wall. The fortifications of Jericho were massive. What is your wall of impossibility? Joshua goes to the wall. It appears that Joshua went alone to the wall. Perhaps it was in the middle of the night. He went to the wall to think, to pray, to strategize. You know, I think how many nights do we lay awake looking at our wall, our wall of impossibility, and we think and we pray and we, we try to strategize. The leader that Joshua is, he's probably thinking, okay, what's the best way to knock down this wall? God, what's the best way to knock down this wall? You know, he's a born leader. And I live with leaders. So I, I really don't think that Joshua necessarily went to the wall thinking, I can't do this. Wow, this is, wall is just... It can't be done. I don't believe he thought that. I think what Joshua was thinking, what's the best way to knock down this wall? And so while he's standing at the wall, he confronts a man. And in Joshua 5, 13 through 15, we read about that, that moment. When Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a sword in hand. Joshua went up to him and demanded, Are you friend or foe? Neither one, he replied, I am the commander of the Lord's army. At this, Joshua fell with his face to the ground in reverence. I am at your command, Joshua said. What do you want your servant to do? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did as he was told. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? When Moses was at the burning bush and he confronted God. Joshua is confronting God. He's saying, take off your sandals. This is holy ground. In this brief exchange, the commander of the Lord's army essentially is saying, I'm not here to take sides. I'm not friend or foe. I'm here to take over. And I'm so glad that we have a commander we have a God that takes, who doesn't take sides, but he takes over. And the question here is really, Joshua, whose side are you on? When we focus and we face those walls of impossibility in our life, the commander of the Lord's army stands with his sword in his hand, and he says to us, I'm ready. I'm ready to take over. I'm willing and I'm able to take down your wall of impossibility. Whose side are you on? Whose side am I on? Okay, so now we're at Joshua chapter 6. There's so much in Joshua. And now we're going to knock down the wall. It's Joshua chapter 6 begins by, how do you knock down a wall? God's way. And it says this, And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. 
Now, I want you to notice the language here, God's grammar here. He says, see, I have given you, Josh, uh, I've given you Jericho into your hand. It's king and the mighty men. And I'm sure Joshua was thinking, thinking, well, not really God, because there's a small problem. I'm standing on the outside of the wall, and I should be on the inside of the wall. So technically, you haven't, I haven't gotten it. Technically, it's not mine yet. But God speaks of what, not, of what has not happened as if it already has. This is courageous faith. God is saying to you today some things and you're not seeing the evidence of it. And that's where it takes courageous faith. Whenever and whatever the wall of possibility, impossibility is in your life, God is asking you to have courageous faith. So the plan is laid out for Joshua. And we read about this plan in Joshua 6, 3 through 5. And it says this. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk around ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing the horns. When you hear the priests give one long blast on the ram's horn, have all the people shout as loud as they can. Then the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight into the town. Are you sure, God? Sounds a little unconventional to me. <laughs> Here's Joshua. He's a great military leader, a warrior with a lot of experience, a lot of experience in battle. And he hears this plan and he's got to be thinking, this is not what I had in mind. And remember, there are 40,000 battle-ready men ready to hear and waiting to hear their orders. I'm sure Joshua had his own ideas. He had drawn up some plans. He had some strategy. He knew it wasn't going to be easy. But I can tell you that none of his plans included a marching band. So maybe it's an inside job. Maybe someone on the inside is going to help us take this wall down. And God says, yes, a prostitute named, named Rahab. All right, so we're going to take this wall down. We have a prostitute named Rahab, a marching band, and we're going to walk. Yeah, that's the plan. God says, yep, that's the plan. So, but you see what happens here is God is setting it up so that every step into the promised land is marked by God's hand and not ours. With this battle plan, with this battle plan, there was no way Joshua could take credit. There's no way that the 40,000 warriors could take credit. It is God and God alone who makes our walls of impossibility fall. What is your wall of impossibility? It had to seem absolutely crazy. And the people of Jericho had to think that they were, cra uh, they were stupid just walking around blowing horns. 
for seven days. Or it totally freaked them out, which I think is actually what happened because it said their hearts were melted with fear. But either way, it took courage for Joshua to do what God asked him to do. And the walls of Jericho came down just as God said they would. Courage loves when it's so much easier to hate. Courage is showing up every weekend, knowing that when the worship starts, so do the tears. Courage is forgiving when you've been hurt. Courage is letting go when you want to hang on for everything you have. Courage is staying when running seems like the best option. Courage is not an absence of fear, but moving forward in spite of fear. When Joshua first went into the promised land as a spy, he was a young man. He was of the younger generation. Now, 38 years later, Joshua is part of an older generation. He's 38 years older than he was. We're going to be taking communion. We're going to enter into worship. And one of the songs that we're going to sing today, it has a stance that says, Oh God, let us be a generation that seeks, seeks your face, O God of Jacob. Whatever your age, whatever generational category you fall in, may you be the generation that seeks, courageously seeks God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and all your strength. So how do we get strong and courageous? How do we get strong? How do we get courageous? Do we push the button and listen to Eye of the Tiger over and over and over? We get courageous when we confront the walls of impossibility in our life by focusing on the greatness of God. We stop focusing on our smallness and we focus on God's bigness. We don't focus on how big the wall is. We focus on how big God is. God is wanting our story to be about his bigness. It's bigger than our doubt. It's bigger than our regrets. It's bigger than our shame, our fear. His bigness is bigger than our problems. And in Isaiah 40, 12, it talks about God's bigness. Who else has held the oceans in his hand? Who has measured off the heavens with his fingers? Who else knows the weight of the earth or has weighed the mountains and hills on a scale? God is saying to us today, there are better days ahead. Get moving. Focus on me. Focus on my bigness. As we come to a conclusion to the message, I want you to look at your bulletin. And on the back, there are two words. One is yesterday and one is today. This is something to keep. It's not something that you're going to bring up and put in the containers. This is something that hopefully you'll keep as a reminder, perhaps as a memorial stone of what God has spoken or has said to you today. On the word yesterday, cross that off. Don't let yesterday keep you from moving where God wants you to go today. 
God has better days ahead of you. And today you need to release the past. Release the past. Release the unforgiveness. Release the regret. Release the shame, the doubt, the bitterness. It says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, it says this, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. To take off, to put aside the weight, the things that entangle us, so that we can go forward. God has better days ahead for you. Take full access of God's grace. Now, under the word today, there's several lines there. In order for the Israelites to take hold of the promised land, they had to go where they had never gone before. And they had to do things that they had never done before. So what is God asking you to do today? What are things that you haven't done before? What are, what are places you haven't gone before? What do you need to start doing that you're not currently doing? Are you willing to go and do things you've never done before in order to get where God wants you to go? Maybe you've never really studied the Bible. That's something you can write down. I'm, in order for me to get where, I, where God wants me to go, I need to know his word. Maybe it's being faithful and attending regularly. Perhaps being in a small group. Serving in an area. Maybe you haven't been able to trust God in a long time. But now today you're going to say, I trust God. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to pray. I'm going to give. What is God telling you to do? If you would take a few moments, and there'll be a moment during worship that you can do that. Joshua and the entire nation changed because they started doing something they had never done before. They went places that they had never been before. So what is God asking you to do today? We're going to pray, and I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward And those who are on the prayer team, if you would please go and get in a position as we enter into this time of communion and into worship. So let's pray together this morning. Father, we are so thankful you're a big God. You are bigger than any wall that we face. We choose to take our eyes off the wall and we choose to put our eyes on you. You're bigger And you're able to do what seems to be impossible, but we know there is nothing impossible for you. We thank you, Lord, because you want to give us the promises. You're saying to us, there's better days ahead. Take hold of it. Get moving. So, Father, today we thank you because you will never leave us. You will never forsake us. We take courage because we know you're a big God and you fight for us. In your precious name, amen.
You can contact the church office Tuesday through Thursday from 9 to 5 and Fridays from 9 to 3 at 503-266-4444. Please visit us on the web anytime at canbefoursquare.com. Pastor Ron and others on New Life staff, along with occasional guest speakers, trust that the Holy Spirit will use the message to teach you, encourage you, and give you hope. Thank you.